2: Good evening, one and all. Welcome to the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next 12 hours... No, actually, for the next four hours. Wow, where did time go, eh? For the next four hours, I'm going to be your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. The X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and Simul TV. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, exxon Radio TV. To find out about the programming we have available for you, it's 24-7, 365, with our compliments on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for all the programming that we have available on the XZone TV channel, go to www.simultv.com. And in the search engine on that page, just type in XZone. Speaking about Simultv, I'd like to welcome two new affiliates uh, to the XZone TV channel, HD55TV in Los Angeles, California. And to over 10 million homes in India on MX Systems. My guest this hour at Nation is Dean Tong and he is an internationally noted author, certified forensic consultant, certified child forensic interviewer and expert witness concentrating in the areas of high conflict divorce, child custody, abuse accusations, albeit uh, sexual or physical child abuse, domestic violence, as well as parental alienation and sexual allegations in divorce. Mr. Tong has a tendered testimony as an expert witness in cognitive child development, psychology, and best practice uh, forensic child interview methods, as well as the handling, mishandling of protective investigations by CPS and the police. Joining me now is Dean Tong. And, Dean, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us today.
3: Rob, thanks for having me back.
2: You are one busy guy. Uh, you've been in this uh, business, I believe, for 35 years?
3: I have, if you include my personal experience back to 1985, that's correct.
2: What was it that that brought you to do the great work? And and I, I, as a former police officer myself, I can, I can let our listeners know that the work that you do is invaluable. So thank you very much for your service.
3: Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was firsthand experience. Um, got involved in a very mm-hmm. bitter. Uh, acrimonious custody battle myself in Florida in 1985 and found myself accused of sexual assault of my three-year-old daughter, and right. I got arrested in Florida. Uh, found out that in a case like this, uh, the mindset of the system is children don't lie, children are not mistaken, must be believed or protected at all costs, so you're actually presumed guilty, not innocent, when it comes to this allegation. And That's exactly what I was up against. It took over 15 months to uh, have Florida drop the charges against me, but I was curtailed in the family court. I could only see my kid's chaperone, supervised monitored. That went on for several years. So I just decided to uh, graduate my own experience uh, into my life calling and went on to publish three books, um, get a master's. Uh, you know, I read a scientific journal article that was published in 07 um, on sexual deviancy of, of the accused. And then, right. of course, uh, the rest is pretty much history. I've, I've worked cases now from all 50 states, and I have spoken twice in your country, in Toronto and Saskatchewan.
2: You know, I can, I, can I, I, I can't even imagine the hell that you went through, especially during those 15 months when, you know, you were basically branded and you had to go through, visit, you know, supervised visitation. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. and,
3: you know, back then we didn't have, we didn't have computers or Facebook yeah. or Google or iPods or iPads or iPhones or any of that stuff. All you had was a law library and a little brother word processor to do yeah. anything you had to do. So you didn't really have the tools uh, at your disposal to be able to fight back, if you will.
2: Unbelievable. Has the system changed since you had your experience all those thirty five years ago
3: uh you know technologically yes, but um, as I mean, far as the,
2: the law statutes itself the,
3: the prosecution yeah. of these cases, and I think uh perhaps it is exacerbated with the recent convictions of uh, Bill Cosby and now harvey weinstein right uh, and and I think uh uh, the system still doesn't do a great job of deciphering truth from falsehood in these cases. I think they, um, it's not that they're deliberately doing shoddy investigations, but I think uh, with the resources that they have at their disposal, the education and training that they have is lacking in suggestibility and memory source contamination. Um, considering alternative hypotheses, how else could this have happened? Uh, I've had cases of. Uh, African American kids with Mongolian warts being falsely diagnosed as physical abuse. Oh, God. Uh, other cases of shaken baby syndrome that mm-hmm. turned out to be Ehler-Danlos syndrome or osteogenesis imperfecta.
2: Now, what what are those two? What are those two? A lot of
3: mistakes. A lot of mistakes being made by well-meaning, well-intentioned, but perhaps misguided professionals.
2: Now, you you were talking about the shaken child syndrome and then you named two conditions what are those conditions and how do they how do they resemble the shaken child syndrome
3: well the shaken baby syndrome the two the two main factors of course are um, bleeding in the eyes uh, bilateral retinal hemorrhages as it's called and Mm -hmm. subdural um, hematoma bleeding in the brain and of course when you get a young kid six months to a year old or so and you know um Perhaps mom's at work and the paramour or boyfriends watching the kid. Right. All of a sudden, um, you know, the kid has, you know, the kid has a, a syncope episode and falls and perhaps suffers a fracture or two with that, uh, goes to the ER. Right. First thing that comes to mind by any physician or nurse is, um, you know, the boyfriend shook this kid because the kid was crying. And, uh, you know, he gets arrested, mother gets charged with failure to protect by, uh CAS, I believe it's called in your country. Yep. And uh, uh, a nightmare evolves, you know, and, um, you know, you have these other medical conditions, uh, vitamin D deficiency, rickets, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, that could account for similar signs or symptoms. I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't give you the whole lowdown of that. But, uh, you know, I, I've had cases in Florida. I had a case where a little, little girl said his, uh, her daddy put his PP on her PP. Immediately the accused was arrested for a sexual battery because the system gleaned it was genital on genital contact That's not what the little girl meant. She meant that daddy urinated on top of her urine in the commode She forgot to flush. Oh boy a linguistic error um, You know and, and that's my point. Yeah is the system the system is not looking uh, down all streets here to find the truth behind uh, as you would, uh, as your show uh, announces, the fiction. So you know, and um, we, we see errors being made. So uh, basically, what this is: the the police child protection, again, well meaning, well intentioned. They have a theory, they have a suspect. Any other theory has to be proved by the defense. That's how this works. And mind you, uh, you know. You, you get as much much justice as you can afford. Obviously, these cases are very, very expensive to litigate.
2: So what about the people who are innocent but can't afford the litigation to clear themselves? Do they remain in the system?
3: Well, fortunately, um, there are two courts. One is Juvenile Dependency Court, where Mm -hmm. child protection can move to terminate your parental rights. The other, of course, being Criminal Court, where in a case like... I got involved in, uh, or or other uh, fathers and men get involved in, some mothers as well across this uh, land, uh, sexual assault of children, you can go to prison for life and, and face lifelong sex offender registration. Oh, so boy. there's a lot of consequences hanging in the balance. Mm-hmm. In those two jurisdictional cases, juvenile court or criminal court, if you don't have any money, if you are considered what's called informal pauperous or indigent, a judge can order that and then order the state to pay your fees because you have a right to due process. That right Right. to due process includes attorneys and Mm -hmm. experts.
2: All right, Dean, stand by. You and I have to take our first uh, break. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. A great pleasure talking to you. And once again, I know um, that you do a lot. And uh, thank you for your service. That's all I can say. I know that uh, what you do is not... Also very hard work, but it's also taking a toll on the men and women who actually work these cases. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If Once again, if you'd like to uh, find out about the x Broadcast Network, the shows we have on Days and Times, visit www.xzbn.net. And I'd like to welcome Dr. Bernie Biteman, who does uh, Connecting with Coincidence on the x Broadcast Network, to the x TV channel. He's going to be doing coincidence vignettes. As well as, I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine from Toronto, Hassan Jeffer, who is going to be doing astro vignettes on the x TV channel. For more information on the x TV channel, visit www.simultv.com. And in the search engine, type in x Exoneration Dean Tung is my special guest this hour. And for more information about Dean, visit his website uh, abuse-excuse.com. Dean has consulted on protected divorce, custody and abuse related cases for 25 years now. He's worked uh, with court cases from all 50 states and his services have been granted by judges in several juvenile dependency and criminal court cases across America who don't have the financial means to bring him into a case so the courts order the state to pay his fees. Once again, his website is www.abuse-excuse.com. Dean, how long did it take for you to get your life back in order after the horrific events that you went through?
3: Uh, Well... I started writing in 1988 yeah. and my first book was p- published in 92. So the catharsis probably started then. Um, and, uh, I did have to go see a psychologist for six months, uh, when I was going through the allegations cause I was a bit suicidal at the time around uh, 86 or 87. So it was, it was traumatizing to mm-hmm. say the least. And, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of hope there um, because they. It's not just the uh, physical and mental and financial drag down, but there's the uh, the wait, the waiting game, if you will. It takes a lot of discipline. These cases are marathons, not sprints. I've had I, I have a case right now in Arizona, and the defendant has been in jail for five years pending trial. Oh my God. Yeah. So you know, and and most of these cases, uh, Rob, are, are he said, she said, they said, what a child said. Meaning, only five percent are medical forensic findings, STDs, or bodily fluids, or mm-hmm. broken hymen, or something that traumatic. Most of these cases are hearsay, right? Uh, words from the mouths of babes, and that's all that's required to send you to a prison cell and your mug on the internet for life and lifelong sex offender registration. So. You know, and and again, a well-meaning system, but they place the kid, uh, the child victim, in immediate therapy. Uh, again, the mindset is the, the children don't lie. They're not mistaken when they talk about sexual touches by adult men. And it's a credibility shootout is basically what it is between the child victim and the accused.
2: Now, let us say... For example, the case that you're working on now in Arizona. You've got somebody who's been in custody for five years. At the end of it all, he is found not guilty. Does he get any, any, any restitution because he was incarcerated for five years? Does he get anything to, to help get him back to a normal life, if he can ever have a normal life?
3: Negative. Uh, unless he files suit in federal court under uh, 42 U.S.C. 1983 uh, and successfully prosecutes that lawsuit for damages, compensatory punitive damages. Uh, It's not like a case of, uh, uh, you know, the Innocence Project, Barry Sheck, where it's it's a mistaken DNA case and you've been in prison for 30 years or something. And, yes, in in that type of case, the uh, Department of Corrections, the state will, Uh, you know, perhaps uh, give you one or two or three million dollars for the wrongful time that uh, chewed up half your life. Not not in a case like this. No way. Uh, Like I said, most of these cases are not DNA. Uh, You know, very rarely would you have DNA. Obviously, there's no blood or uh, usually no bodily fluids, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no fibers or hairs like an O.J. Simpson, none of that.
2: Unreal. So here you've got uh, somebody who was arrested, fingerprinted, mugshot, thrown into the system, He's, isn't he supposed to be innocent until proven guilty?
3: Is supposed to be, Rob, but not in these types of cases. No eh?
2: you
5: way.
3: Know, whenever you, whenever you um, include the sexual connotation mm-hmm. to an allegation to a charge, that's the one allegation that's going to raise the eyebrows and the hair off the head of lay jurors in the jury box and, of course, the judge. Um, it, it, it's, it's the one allegation, you know, where these people are thinking, how could this kid say this unless it happened? And if the lawyer goes in there and your only defense is motive, perhaps it was a custody battle, yeah. perhaps it was over money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually not enough. That's usually not good enough to, to get a jury to vindicate the accused because you could prove motive. Uh, means, method, opportunity. So as experts, we're looking for sexual triggers. Okay, What could have triggered this adult or this kid to go down the sexual impropriety road all of a sudden after a year, two years, five years, ten years, decades? And we've, we've seen this uh, on and on with the Catholic Church and clergy over the years. Many are guilty, by the way. Uh, but there are wounded innocents that are swept up with the guilty, mm-hmm. and in, in, in you know, in my work, in my opinion, just one wounded innocent is one too many.
2: Exactly, exactly.
3: So, so you know, we get down to sexual triggers, and mm-hmm. you know, could have could it have been a book, a movie, um, a website? Could it have been another person, another kid, another adult that could have implanted a false memory? Could it have been a therapist? Could it have been? a kid with ADHD who is on Vyvanse that could cause hallucinations or delusions there's a lot of things that can uh, interrupt the process of memory memory's not a perfect videotape it deteriorates with the passage of time so whether you've been raped whether you've been shot in Vietnam Afghanistan or Iraq mm-hmm. chances are unless you're LeBron James with a photographic memory you're not going to recall the entire event and have verbatim memory you're going to have gist memory and only recall Bits and pieces of that trauma.
2: Let, let me ask you something: the cases that you work on, are they are they mostly married couples, or are these cases where mom has hooked up with a guy, the child is from another family, another man? Is there any is it, there any it's common thread here? Dynamics, really? All dynamics. It, really? It's all
3: dynamics. I, I even get cases where there's there's no family relation sometimes, but of course the alleged perpetrator knows mm. the. Uh, victim, uh, because they usually do, Uh, stranger uh, molestation and rape is very rare. That's the exception to the rule. So most of the victims know the accused in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't have to be an intrafamilial case.
2: Is it mostly the the father or the man of the household, or are the other relatives involved, uncles and... And grandparents, are they the minorities, or is it right across the board?
3: Right, that, right you're right. It, usually the grandparents are the minority, and, mm-hmm. and usually in sex cases it is the father or the stepfather who's accused oh, of gosh. molesting uh, you know, the son or the daughter. Uh, rarely will you have both genders involved, because we have, we have little or no empirical data on that where the accused would, would sexually abuse both genders, right. male and female children. Uh, occasionally I'll get what's called MVMO uh, cases, multiple victim, multiple offender. Uh, the other uh, upside, of course, for the child victim or the adult victim, if you will, at least in America, is we have a rape shield statute in all 50 states, meaning if the defense lawyer is trying to uh, say this is a mistaken identity, you've got the wrong guy, that's not going to work because of the rape shield statute. So an alternative suspect is not going to uh, win the day for the accused. So if this is a tennis match, immediately advantage a victim. And, and of course, in in my work, I see see many non-abused children who are treated as if they have been abused. Uh, And as I just alluded to, these cases being marathons, not sprints, you'll see a kid in therapy for uh, weeks, months, uh, years prior to going to trial and of course the therapy again while just like with the police and social services well-meaning well-intentioned but you could be treating the kid for a condition the kid's not suffering from so we have this um ace it's called a study that was conducted in the late 90s Uh, it's now getting a lot more visibility today as you and i are speaking Uh, ace standing for adverse childhood experience uh, and we actually have a test that can be done to determine how many aces the child has suffered in his or her life, which could lead to heart disease, anxiety, depression, uh, even suicide hmm. so the, the you know the the higher the number of aces, obviously the worse off for the child uh, yeah you know this is uh, this is something where all the professionals have to uh, consider all alternative hypotheses, and of course, uh, my work um, was really preceded by Dr. Stephen Ceci, that's spelled C-E-C-I, but uh, pronounced like Whitney Houston's mother, Ceci. And, and Dr. Ceci, uh, who of course is on Wikipedia, is probably the leading expert uh, on the planet in child development, uh, human development, he is the Helen Carr professor at Cornell University. His studies in the 90s were published on Dateline in 2020 on, um, you know, half of the kids that he, that he, that they studied mm. him and his associate, Dr. Maggie Bruck, who, by the way, originally did her work at McGill in Canada. She's now at Johns Hopkins um, in, in Maryland. Uh, a lot of the work that they studied, you know, little kids, four or five-year-old kids were talking about sexual touches by adult men that never happened. Oh, boy. Uh, One study they did, the little girl, uh, the pediatrician, um, glossed his stethoscope along her thigh and when Dr. Bruck interviewed the same kid about 15 minutes later, the kid said the pediatrician hammered a stick into her vagina and of course there was no stick and there was no vagina.
2: All right, stand by, please uh, Dean. We've got uh, to I'm, take... I'm sorry.
3: There was no hammer and there was no stick. Of course there was a vagina. Right. But I have but I have the study on, on DVD. All right, stand case... by, Dean.
2: We've got to take our news break ExoNation, Dean Tongue yeah. is our special guest. www.abuse-excuse.com and uh, Dean and I will be back on the other side of this news break, as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario,
5: Canada.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them.
2: Thanks, Dean Tong is my special guest this uh, hour. For more information on Dean and uh, the work that he does, visit www.abuse-excuse.com. Dean, before we went to the break, uh, you were telling us about this young girl who was seen by a doctor. The doctor's stethoscope accidentally brushed her on the thigh. And 15 minutes later, when she was asked about the incident, it was totally different.
3: She embellished the what the doctor mm-hmm. did uh, to Dr. Brock in, right. in the interview uh, by Dr. Brock that the pediatrician had hammered a stick into her yeah. uh, lower genital, and of course there was no hammer and there was no stick. So Dr. C.C. and Dr. Brock's studies uh, pretty much proved that if the kid can talk about the tooth fairy, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Peter Pan, can talk about how Daddy Touch was my pee.
2: Exactly.
3: And and these studies were widely published. Um, uh, I might add, they're difficult to get into evidence into a court of law still today, uh, some 25, 30 years later, because of the, um, you know, the o- overzealous and yet uh, passionate uh, demeanor uh, judges uh, have to protect children and, of course, the child protection system,
5: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and... Uh, it's not not that the most of these cases are lies most are not malicious lies and people seem to uh, misunderstand that you know most of these cases are lies so they're false allegations or because there aren't many uh, lies uh, there are very few false allegations well that's correct there are very few false uh, premeditated bad faith allegations but there are scores of unfounded unsubstantiated uh, cases, what we call in psychology, source misattribution errors, where there's another possible origin or source of the trauma, if there is a trauma.
2: So with all this new technology that we have available to us, can any of the, the technology be used to better understand whether the child is embellishing or actually telling the truth?
3: Well, on the forensic end, uh, real quickly, Rob, we have touch DNA now. Over the past decade, okay. Uh, so now we can test. Now we can test jeans and underwear and other undergarments mm-hmm. uh, from you know years ago, decades ago, and still pull up uh, forensic proof. Uh, don't know how often the crime labs analyze that stuff. But most of my cases are just hearsay. He said, she said, they said. So in those cases, you want the child interviewed by an open-ended uh, interviewer. Right. interview Interviewers who's, who's using open-ended questions. Can you tell me what happened? Can you tell me more about that? Can you tell me more about that? Not, uh, did daddy touch your pee-pee? That's leading, that's suggestive, it's closed-ended, uh, it's negative stereotype induction, vilifying the accused. So we have a method called the NICHD, which was um, created at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, My colleague, Dr. Phil Esplin, uh, was the co-author of that method 20 years ago in 2000. Uh, But because it is difficult sometimes to extract an outcry from a child uh, during a forensic interview, it's not oftentimes used. So the system, at least here in America, tends to use the more lenient methodologies, if you will, RATAC and APSAC and the CAC model, which uh, allow for leading, suggestive, closed-ended, direct questions, repeated questions, which basically tap into the child's explicit memory, not the child's implicit memory. And by implicit, I mean spontaneous. So the law requires uh, a judge or jury to find the child's uh, or the woman, if it's an adult rape uh, allegation mm-hmm. with no forensic uh, evidence, uh, credible right. that uh, her allegation be spontaneous, reliable, and trustworthy. Those are the three factors. Uh, so you want to tap into, into the uh, complaining witness's autobiographical free recall memory, uh, her, her implicit memory. So you don't want to put words or thoughts or ideas into the mind of the kid or the adult. Because what are you doing by doing that? You're contaminating or tainting or adulterating that information.
2: Um, has the Me Too movement... That,
3: that usually requires an expert witness uh, to, to accompany the lawyer in court on the case.
2: All right, speaking about that, if, if a lawyer asks you to assist them in their work, what do you do?
3: Yeah, so I work in a two, two-pronged test uh, capacity. Uh, one is strategy. Part of that strategy is helping uh, on questions for depositions mm-hmm. under oath. Uh, another would be at trial, uh, questions on direct and cross and redirect and recross examination of, of opposing fact and expert witnesses. Uh, plus, of course, I testify uh, myself in multiple areas of psychology and social science. Uh, oftentimes in a civil case, uh, child custody or, or dependency case against uh, CAS, for example, in your country, Right. Um, I'm excluded from the rule of sequestration, may, meaning I would be the only witness allowed in the courtroom the entire trial, and I can get up there on the witness stand and also testify for the defense. Uh, there's a special exception for me as a defense expert in, in, that, in that capacity. Now, that doesn't happen in criminal cases, but in civil cases it can happen if the lawyer files a motion uh, with the court. Okay, That's and I- happened with-
2: I'm, I'm right having a bit of a problem understanding if sexual abuse is the allegation, how can it not be uh, a criminal case? Can it be criminal and not civil? And can it be civil, not criminal?
3: Uh, yes, to both of your questions. And, uh, you know, that's basically up to the mindset of the system. So in a case, for example, where it's a uh, stepfather Mm -hmm. uh, that has no uh, parental rights to the kid, uh, the complaining witness or victim, in that case, the accused, the stepfather is probably going to more likely not get arrested uh, because the government has no control over that stepfather for dependency because the stepfather is not our DNA relative, so he has no meditation rights. Uh, this, you know, so the the, uh, the criminal arrest would would basically kill two birds of one stone. It'd be an immediate restraining order against the victim. Uh, plus, he'd be in jail uh, pending if he can get out on bond, uh, and if he can't get out on get, he can't get out on bond, he's going to stay in jail until he goes to trial.
2: Right. Okay. So um, so the, in either case, the testimony of the child or the victim, you know, is taken at at face value that the person is, in this case, guilty until proven innocent.
3: Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah, this is pretty much the horse of the different color, the exception to the rule, if you will, um, because of our our strenuous zeal uh, to protect children of this most reprehensible and heinous crime when it is committed. But I guess that's the $64,000 question and answer, is when, when that is committed.
2: Why, why do you think it's so important for the accused to submit uh, to risk assessment testing?
3: Well, I use it uh, religiously in my practice. Um, I have a doctor I've been working with for mm-hmm. over a dozen years that does testing of all my clients. Uh, it's a piece of data that we like to have. Uh, we, we know from the science sexual interest precedes the act of sexual assault uh, in most cases, uh, so we're looking for that whether the accused has any any sexual interest or propensity or penchant um, to show sexual gratification in in kids or prepubescent uh, girls or males uh, boys uh, depending on the uh, sex of the uh, victim. Uh, we're also looking for what's called cognitive distortions. Uh, most pedophiles um, are very clandestine, clever criminals, and they can try to con. Uh, their lawyer, their family, the system themselves, hmm. uh, real great hoodwinkers. And so we're looking for cognitive distortions, especially if the acu- uh, accused has threatened the victim. Uh, if you tell anybody, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going right. to hurt your mother, hurt your, hurt your family. The cognitive distortion scale score within the ABLE Assessment for Sexual Interest Test, uh, the website for that is ablescreening.com, that's A B E L. A screening.com. That's a very important factor with child molesters and pedophiles. So if they score less than twenty five percent, most of my clients that are, uh, you know, that are innocent, are usually score uh, ten or twelve percent or even less. Uh, but greater than twenty five percent, then Houston, we have a problem. Where they, they, you know, they may actually uh, have uh, given the kid an ultimatum. Um, you know, if you tell anybody you know, people are going to be in trouble. So uh, the only way you could really impeach that yucky secret, if you will, is, is to attain, uh, obtain, rather, the, uh, the CD scale score the, or the cognitive distortion, distortion scale score of the accused.
2: All right, stand by, Dean. You and I have to take our final break. and explanation if you'd like more information about our guest this hour. Dean Tong is his name, and the website is abuse-excuse.com, or abuse hyphen. Excuse.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Dean Tong and I return after this break. Oh my gosh. What a nightmare What's it would a, be. You're yeah. up there. All right, stand by, Dean. We'll be right back. In
3: this world.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Dean Tong is our special guest this hour. His website is abuse-excuse.com. First of all, Dean, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And as a former law enforcement officer, all I can say is that, man, I wish you were around on many of the cases that I worked on.
3: Well, Rob, thanks for having me again. And uh, appreciate uh, your service, too, to law enforcement.
2: Dean, uh, how important is using the right attorney or finding the right attorney in these cases?
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, that's clearly a 10. Um, I mean, I'm the running back, if you will, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, who's responsible for the litigation of the case, your quarterback, your litigator is the attorney. And I can't compel a lawyer to do anything. I can only suggest and recommend as an expert. So in any case, uh, family court, juvenile court, criminal court, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to have, a, you know, the correct attorney, and, and that's not throwing darts at lawyers.com. I mean, there's a science to that. Um, you know, so in my book, Elusive Innocence, at my website, there's a section in both how to choose your attorney. And very, very important. Um, these cases especially. So, you know, you can get a criminal attorney. Uh, I met a very good one uh, 20 years ago when I, when I spoke in Toronto, when I was there, Walter Fox. Um, really nice gentleman, uh, excellent, excellent criminal attorney. Oh, my gosh, he must have almost 50 years of experience. If you go to his website, I think it's walterfoxlaw.ca. Um, but, I mean, you know, this is not DUI. This is not bank, Not It's not murder. It's not right. drug kingpins. It's child uh, sexual assault uh, based on the words and mouths of babes. Uh, so it's the horse of the different color. A lot of lawyers don't get this in law school. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, lawyers, you know, we're, we're still in a deep recession. They'll be glad to take your retainer check. So be very, very careful who you're hiring because, you know, you may go through three, four or five uh, until you pick the right one. And by that time, the court may not even allow you to change, uh, change horses and change counsel anymore.
2: How long do these cases usually take? Is there an average?
3: Uh, criminal, uh, as we talked about, my one case, oh. the man's been in jail for five years. Um, uh, you know, they can take nearly uh, uh, 18 months to three years. I mean, that, that's probably uh, the norm in my caseload. Uh, I've got a custody case right now going on for almost three years. Still my going. Lord. That's just family law. So there's really no set uh, time frame. Uh, but you know, really, will I get involved in a case, and it, it lasts less than six months? So it, it's it's going to be anywhere from six months to multiple years.
2: Does the court offer any support to the victims uh, during these processes? Uh, is there counseling for the children or the or the adult victim?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. The the you know, both the adult, the child will be in psychotherapy. They'll get a victim's advocate. Um. You know, they're, they're allowed uh, sometimes, many times, to allow what's called a victim compensation fund form for money. And all this before there's been an adjudication of the facts of the case, which, of course, is, is part of the problem I have with the system, because it's, it's basically what we call confirmatory bias. It's a preconceived notion. This happened before uh, any trier of fact has heard the facts. It's like treating a kid for cancer with chemotherapy or radiation before the lab physician has diagnosed the kid with cancer. Right. Oh, so, yeah. You, you know, you can't, you can't have a rush to judgment mindset here. You can't have a, a situation where emotions supersede logic. Uh, you know, and when I'm on a case, of course, I, I try to, uh, you know, be on the same page as the attorney, uh, intersecting the facts of the case with the science and the law. Uh, that's how you win in court.
2: Are there red flags that you are able to pick up on when you're during the trial and the child and the case don't jive?
3: Well, sure. I mean, in any case, most of my cases are child sexual assault, so you're going to see some You know, you would expect to see some degree of signs, symptoms, behaviors, regressive behaviors perhaps with the kids, some Mm -hmm. signs of trauma, Um, you know, uh, perhaps even a diagnosis of PTSD, uh, you know, secondary to uh, the child's so-called purported victimization, Um, you know, and obviously motivation. Uh, obviously come into play, you know, is is this a high-conflict divorce and custody battle where a child could be wielded as a pawn weapon or tool for the Mm -hmm. purpose of gaining equity at law and court by the accuser, perhaps the mother behind the kid, uh, or the grandmother. Um, You know, so acrimony, uh, you know, disharmony is always always a factor. Uh, But you always look for stuff like this. You, You hope to have this before you go to trial. It's all about preparation. Sure. Uh, pre- preparation is the key to winning these cases.
2: When it comes to the court itself, do you find that there is a difference between a male judge and a female judge in these cases?
3: Well, I helped to win a case for a mother uh, last year here in Florida. Uh, the government tried to terminate her rights, and we had a female judge. And, you know, I, I wondered at the start uh, when I came to trial that week whether the judge would be objective or perhaps uh, against uh, the mother, because mm-hmm. she was a mother herself. Right. Uh, you know, with that confirmatory bias, preconceived notion, opinion that, oh my gosh, these are heinous allegations. She's accused of coaching her kid to falsely accuse the dad of incest. Um, I wonder what, if this judge already has uh, tapped my client as guilty. Well, we won that case after a long, drawn-out battle. Uh, months it took uh, to trial because the court uh, had to bifurcate its calendar, uh, so she was an objective judge in the end, and that's what's most important.
2: Um, obviously there are cases that never come to court or that aren't reported to the police, where there is sexual abuse. Absolutely. How can a person know? Are there signs that that are? that go unnoticed because mom or dad really don't both, it never crosses their mind that their child could be suffering from sexual abuse. Are there any signs that you can share with us that parents could look out for?
3: Well, you know, overt signs, obviously you're not going to see mm-hmm. uh, covert signs. Sure. You, you know, you're looking for a kid who's withdrawn, um, You know, a kid, maybe her uh, grades are failing in school. Right. Um, Obviously, a kid who uh, was very gregarious and uh, extroverted has become introverted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now is the shy, precocious kid. Uh, You know, and um, like she's hiding a secret. So, you know, that's something, you know, you're going to have to uh, investigate internally, if you will. And uh, here in Florida, everybody's a mandated reporter now, not just, uh, you know, teachers and police officers and social workers and nurses and doctors and clergy. Everybody's a mandated reporter in my state of Florida. Uh, It's the way it should be across the country, I think. I agree. If you have have a reasonable suspicion Mm -hmm. that a kid has been abused or neglected, you should report it. Then it's up to the government to conduct an official investigation or not.
2: Statistically speaking, are these uh, are these accusations increasing or decreasing?
3: I think the number of reports uh, rob are increasing. I think in, in in America now. There's uh, um, the last report was over four uh, million reports a year, but wow. it's still a very high, unfounded or unsubstantiated rate. It's it's only about a 20 percent confirmed rate with abuse and neglect. So maybe one out of five is confirmed. That's a very unacceptably high, unfounded, unsubstantiated, unconfirmed rate where it doesn't even meet 51% preponderance of evidence in a court of law.
2: Your books, where are they available?
3: Uh, Well, the uh, first two are from the 90s, so one of those is out of print. But um, Elusive Innocence, elusive innocence. I'm sorry, um, published in 2002, is still available at Amazon. A lot of the information in the same is still pretty current. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, if, if there are any Internet websites in there, they may be uh, bad links. But the information itself is still pretty current.
2: Dean, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us tonight and for uh, the great work that you do. I wish you continued success, and I'm sure there are many people who would like to have the opportunity of what I'm going to do right now, and and that is thank you for the work that you do and for dedicating so much of your time to bringing those who are guilty to justice and fighting for the innocence of those who aren't. Thank you.
3: Thank you uh, again, Rob, and uh, God bless you and, and what you do up there.
2: God bless you too, my friend. And Exonation, if you'd like more information about our guest this hour, Dean Tong, Visit his website, www.abuse-excuse.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.